Chapel podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We're so glad you're here. Before we get started, we want to remind you of the importance of being connected into a local church body. Podcasts are a gift from God, but are meant to be supplemental and not substitute or replace the gathering of the saints in worship in the Word. With that being said, we pray that this teaching would bless you, equip you, and encourage you in your walk with Christ. Listen, many of you probably know Dave at this point. Um, he has faithfully come and spoken to our body for years now since we've been planted here in Knoxville. Dave is a longtime friend, um, a dear mentor in my life. Um, many of you know, most of you may know, um, our dear Tim Keller went to be with the Lord a couple days ago. And I just spent some time this weekend just reflecting on, on the impact he's had on my life. But the Lord was just bringing to mind several just key people who've really shaped who I am, how I walk with the Lord, how I see him. And, um, and Dave is one of those faithful men who has invested in my life greatly. I've, I've said for years, I wanna be like Dave when I grow up. My family's still waiting for the moment when I'm gonna grow up, um, but maybe when I get there one day, uh, I'll be like Dave. So Dave, we love you. Thank, Thank you, you for faithfully coming and bringing the word this morning. Thank you, All right. my privilege to be here. Thank you, Jonathan. It was awesome to be under your worship leading again. Thank you. So are we good? So let me ask you a question. I'm, I want to talk today about what God does in the waiting. All of us have different things maybe going on in our lives where we're waiting for something. And over this last six months, as I've been in different parts of our country, just talking with people, it's one of the things I keep bumping up against, is people waiting for something. And, you know, each of us can have a hard time waiting for things, like some of us at stoplights, right, that just seem like they're red for eternity, you know. Have you, have you ever noticed, by the way, that when you bump into something like that, this is a phrase I like to use for my own life, your reactions are windows to your heart. And that, you know, like what reaction comes out? I wonder how many number ones kind of come out of our fingers when people drive in front of us too fast and... And, uh, you know, so, so the reactions of our hearts kind of are revealed in the midst of our waiting. For me, as a kid, Christmas Day never could get there fast enough after Thanksgiving, right? You're wondering what's under the tree, and there's the, it's just the waiting feels forever. For, for me these days, sometimes in my travels, um, like, like to Nepal, so when I get on a flight in Nashville, it's 34 hours before I get off in Kathmandu. And so there is the flight that you take, and you're in Doha, Qatar, and you're just hoping, because you've already been on you know, flight to New York, a layover, a 14-hour flight to Doha, and when you get off, you're just hoping, please let it just be an hour or two. And so when it's eight hours, and you got the nods, because you know, you're, you're already tired, and it's just, I actually have someone in my life who, he was flying back from Russia, made it to Denver, got the nods, fell asleep, and he woke up, and his plane was backing out. <laughs> Not a good moment. So we all have these things related to waiting, and I want to talk to you a little bit about what God does in that. So, so as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, okay, what are stories in Scripture that illustrate waiting? And so we could have gone with, you know, the wait for the Messiah, like several thousand years, right? That's a long wait. We could have gone with Noah, like, do you know that from when the word of the Lord came to Noah to build the ark, 
it took him 100 years. Like, just think about that for a moment. I wonder how many of us after six months, I'm out, right? Maybe six years, I'm out 60 years. I'm done with, I'm done with it, all right? And then finally, Mrs. Noah comes up with a cup of coffee one day, and as she's ready to give it to him, she drops it, and he looks at it on the ground, and she says, honey, look, and there's these pair of animal eyes after 100 years waiting, right? Then you think about um, Joshua's troops walking around Jericho. And remember, they were told, just, just walk. We'll tell you when to shout. And can you imagine the third time? And they're probably from the top of the wall being mocked. Nice sword there you got, buddy. You know, and they're throwing things on them and the whole thing. And, and they had to wait until the word of the Lord. And Joshua said, shout. And then maybe a little closer waiting is, can you imagine what it felt like for Mary and Martha when their brother Lazarus was sick and they knew how much Jesus loved him? Those days must have felt like a long time before Jesus showed up, right? So there's all kinds of stories like that in the scriptures. Well, I wanted to pick one that's out of the book of Acts, and it's Jesus talking about the disciples waiting in Jerusalem for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And I want to draw some lessons. And, and all those other stories I told you about, these same things apply and more. But, but let's just look at this. So take a look here at Acts chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. And this is where we see the wait. All right? Okay, you got it up behind me. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you had heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so he's telling them, I just want you to wait. Go to Jerusalem and wait. Like that's their first step of obedience. Just wait. And I'm going to send the promise of the Holy Spirit. But he didn't say, hey, within the next three days, he didn't tell them how long this was going to be. Now, who was there? Just so we're dialed into this story. Look here, a little few verses down the road in Acts 1. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where there were staying Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. Notice there's 11 of them. We were missing Judas, right? All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer Together with the women, you have to go to Luke 8, I think it is, the first few verses of 8, and you see this, this pack of ladies that walked with Jesus and actually supported, encouraged. It's an amazing thing. So that's probably those women. And with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And then it says, in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers, and then it tells us the company of persons was in all about 120. And so, so they're going to this place, and they're beginning to wait. So I want to give you three things. What does God do in the waiting? The first one is this. He began to grow their dependence. Dependence is the opposite of independence. He began to grow their dependence on God. Now, let's just pretend. I know nobody in this room deals with this, but you know, sometimes people we know can wrestle with control. And I've got to have this this way. And if I don't get it that way, I, and our insecurities and our fears and everything just comes up. And again, your reactions are windows to your heart. Maybe God is allowing those reactions to come because he wants to heal. He wants to mend. He wants to grow us in those areas. 
But I want you just to think with me about those disciples for a moment. Here they are. Jesus has died. You wonder how many of them remembered Jesus saying, after three days, and which one of those disciples it was. Or was it the ladies? And they would remember he said this. But kind of how stunned they are on resurrection morning, you kind of wonder how much did they really connect the dots, right? And then all of a sudden it says Jesus appears to them. We just read that over 40 days, many times showing them that he was alive and talking to them about the kingdom. And then comes this moment where they're talking with Jesus and all of a sudden right in front of their eyes, this happens. And they begin to, to watch him lift up into heaven. And an angel's there, probably the father said, yeah, you just need to get down there to clarify this a little bit. Because could you imagine just the moment? Because they lost him once, now he's back, and now this is aloha. I'm going to send somebody else, the promised Holy Spirit. And you imagine the insecurities of the disciples, the fears. I wonder if it went through their thoughts, now that he's gone, the Romans, they're going to shut this whole thing down. I mean, you just wonder what was going on. In their waiting, they had to learn to walk in dependence. Do you walk that way? Like when a problem comes up, is the first thing you go to the Lord and, God, I just give you this thing and I throw it at your feet and I, I, I want to be someone who walks rightly before you in this? Or do we go into fix-it mode? I've realized there's way too many times in my life I'm dependent on what I think I know or my experience. And the Lord continues to bring me back to, no, 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 this is where you start because your prayer life, your seeking the Lord life, measures where you really are in your dependence on God. If our prayer lives, if our seeking God and things is pretty thin, it means we're relying a lot on ourselves to come up with the answers. And we're seeing here in the ways of God how God goes about doing things that in the midst of the waiting, he's asking us not to put our hand on it. Not to put our hand on it. Because oftentimes in waiting, what happens is when the first ship goes by and throws a line out to you, I just don't want to be there. And it doesn't really matter where else, I just don't want to be there. And yet God orchestrated things to put us there. Maybe choices we made put us there, but he's going to come and meet us there in that place. So in the midst of this, I think they're probably remembering, and I'm assuming because John wrote these things, these next few verses I want to share with you, John may have been the one in the room that says, okay, let's wait here a minute, because remember, he told us to wait, but he also told us that he was going to send the promised Holy Spirit. And so look at these verses. This is Jesus talking to them, and maybe it's John reminding of this. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Not just me who was with you for 30 years, died, came back, and then now I'm a... No, forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So there's probably this reminder of, okay, hey, in the midst of this dependence, the spirit's coming, all right? Look at this next one. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. 
This is Jesus speaking. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And I think Jesus, knowing the insecurities and fears and, oh my gosh, he's thing they're going through, he says this, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you, I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. In the midst of our dependence, in the midst of those places that Jesus puts us in, he also wants us to say, don't let your heart be troubled. Yeah, but you don't understand my circumstances. You don't understand our need. You don't understand the issues at hand. He does. Let not your heart be troubled. Look at this next one. Again, Jesus speaking, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Now, I, I just, like, could you imagine John, hey, you guys remember he said uh, it's going to be to our advantage, you know, three days after he's ascended. Like, how is that really going over? But just reminding, it's to your advantage that I go. For if I do not go, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And so here's this whole place of dependence that God has them in. Now, like when I was thinking about places in my life where dependence was, you know, a little bit more needier because the circumstance was larger, I was um, helping to pastor a church, and a time had come that it was several of us, it was time for us to leave, and we knew that it was time. And I had served there about eight years, and you know, when they came to me, like I, I, all I knew was I was supposed to leave and the Lord hadn't fully revealed the next step yet. So I'm just being obedient. And they were very kind and said, hey, we're going to give you two months of severance. So it was like, thank you for that. Beyond that, I knew nothing. And so I went to the Lord. Cheryl and I, we do prayer retreats a couple times a year. So this was a good time for a prayer retreat. So we just said, Lord, what are you saying? And the Lord said, I want you to go back to raising some of your support as you did as a missionary in light of ministry things I'm going to have you do. And I'm going to ask you to go speak throughout the body of Christ, but you cannot initiate anything. And I said, so like my friend in Seattle, I can't say, hey, I'm going to be in Seattle. I'm going to do one weekend there. Can I come to? No. And so I just felt like this. Like, this is not good. Like, how is this supposed to happen? But he was working on dependence in me. And so I told Cheryl, accountability. So I didn't. And you guys, over the next three to four years, I could show you between 25 and 32 speaking things every year. And I didn't initiate one of them. And the Lord said, I, wanted to, I want to prove myself to you. Your finances is not dependent on you. It's dependent on me. And that was, and my son, Ryan, he was in high school, or he was in college and Malia was in high school at the time. And so I got a college bill, and she's at Franklin Classical School, so there's a high school bill, and so I'm just going, God, how are you going to do this? And he did. Dependence. Sometimes it makes you want to pee in your pants. Because you just don't know. And I knew that if I just reached out and said, hey, you know, and, and you can subtly manipulate it, right? Hey, Bob, I'm going to be in town, and... If that happens, penalty flags being thrown. Can't do it that way. God was faithful. But here's the thing. What's more important to God, he wants to prove to you his faithfulness. 
But if you never give him the opportunity in putting yourself in places of dependence, it'll never happen. And you'll say, well, I don't know God's faithfulness. Well, we do generally. Like, have any of you been anxious about the sun coming up in the morning? Like, I've never gone to bed once going, oh my gosh, what if it's just dark? In the never once in almost 64 years have I woken up and the sun's not been there. His faithfulness. Like, when I shut down at night to to sleep, I'm never worrying about, gosh, I wonder how, how oxygen's going to get in me. Somehow when I sleep, air keeps going in and out. It's like his faithfulness. But there's times that he wants to move beyond the general truth to a specific truth to you. And some of you maybe in this room are in that place right now. It may have nothing to do with finances like mine was. Maybe it does. But it has to do with something where God is inviting you not to take the wheel but to let him have control, to let him have it. That doesn't mean you just are passive and sit around. No, you pray. You be obedient to the little steps he gives you. But there's a difference between us controlling it and us being dependent. So in the midst of the wait, the first thing that he was doing with the disciples is getting them in a place of dependence. Okay, here's the second one. He began to align their hearts. He began to align their hearts. All right? So I just want you to think about this. Look at Acts 1.14. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Can you imagine what those first few days were like? Because here they had just walked this thing through of Gethsemane, you know, the Lord's Supper, then Gethsemane, then Jesus is crucified, he's resurrected, and now they have, after 40 days, he ascends to heaven, and they've seen and experienced all this. They show up together for the first time. It's probably their first time, as we would call it today, to process some things. Could you imagine? Could you imagine them jumping all over Peter? Dude, we're sitting up there in the upper room, and we're all, you know, sober-minded when he says, and all of you are and you get up and say, not me, I won't, I'll even die for you. And then some young lady says something to you, and a rooster crows, and what is that about? You denied him. I mean, can you imagine? They had to talk about some of these things. They probably had a conversation about how could we, in his greatest moment of our needing to be there in Gethsemane, when Judas, who's betraying him, and soldiers come in, we all flee. We leave. What does that tell us about us? They're, they're working stuff through. Then imagine them talking about Judas. Like, could you imagine this conversation? Why were we not discerning enough? Like, could you imagine, like, how did we not kind of sniff that out? Maybe even bigger, how come Jesus didn't sniff that out? We know there's a bigger plan in play, right? But we're human beings, and we're going to go, like, what's the, what's the deal? And in the midst of their waiting, because it tells us here with one accord, I'm sure there was confession, I'm really sorry, please forgive me. These words that I said, it was out of my pride of my heart and my love for him, but out of the pride of, I can imagine, Peter, please forgive me, you guys. And in the midst of waiting, God will begin to align our hearts and our relationship with him and with each other. Because he doesn't want us going into the next thing, as they were dealing, carrying stuff. He wants us to know that between here and here, we're good. It's really important. He, he's, he's dealing with hearts. But the second thing I want you to realize on this 
is he began to align them to his kingdom message. For 40 days, he didn't say, hey, that crucifixion, resurrection thing, what did you guys think? He was talking about the kingdom. Do you know that that was the message Jesus spoke about the most? 259 times it's mentioned in the New Testament, 224 times in the gospel, half of those in Matthew. Like, do you understand the kingdom of God? Jesus is the king. It's what's going on in heaven right now. It's the kingdom of God. It's the, let's call it this, it's the arena where Jesus rules and reigns. His character is on display and his ways are done. That's the kingdom. Do you know that our small groups that meet, it's supposed to be about the kingdom. It's about the kingdom. And in the kingdom, we have a father who's called the father of all comfort. He ministers to us. He empowers us to be obedient to him. I was telling Mark and Dietra last night, I, I, because of the recording of this, I'm not going to say exactly where, but I, I have the privilege in November going to South Asia. And in this place where I'm going, I, I, it's, it, it's led by one of these kind of secret agent missionaries that never really tells you what he's doing and where he is because he can't. And the bottom line is, there's been a move of God amongst Muslims to the point that in the last 17 years, there's now 217,000 house churches in these regions where we're going to go. And like I'm sitting with a guy and he's the, the leader, he was visiting us and he, he was just telling me about it. He said, you know, we can't really call them churches. It's Hindu, it's Muslim. But he said, um, we, it, I said, well, how do you guys, like, how do you do that? And he said, well, we have about 150 in a network. And he said, it's about 12 home churches, so they call them networks. And So catch this for a minute. So I just said to him, and I wasn't, like, measuring weight. I was just kind of curious. Like, so, like, how many of these networks are there? And he just paused for a minute, and he went, mm, 6,000. Where God is showing up. And so he has said, would you come? You guys will relate to this because you've been through discipleship journey, but their leader took a copy of that and said, We're, we need further discipling. So he picked out 15 sections and said, would you guys come over and would you help us with this? So me and two other friends are going over, and he said, here's the catch. Only 10% read. So you have to disciple them orally so they pass it on exactly as you show them and teach them. So he said, when you talk about hearing God's voice, have a few dramas ready that you can give them. We'll translate it, but they can get up and do it, and people will laugh, because they said they will repeat that story. It's like, I, I told them, I said, even if I don't go and contribute anything, I just want to come and see for myself. They said signs and wonders, just uh, like just blow your mind stuff. God is moving, and even though we hear news on the news, never forget, he has never stopped advancing his kingdom. Ever, and he never will until we're all together. So, so just remember that. So in the midst of this, when God has us waiting, can I encourage you that it's not just waiting for the next job or the next door or the next relationship or the next whatever. He's trying to realign your thinking to the kingdom. Like, let me ask you this question. When you get up in the morning and you're getting ready for whatever it is you're doing for the day, do you... Allow that grid to come like this and go, okay, Jesus, I just set my heart that on the job today, 
in my relationship today, I'm going to be aware of what you want to do for your kingdom through my life. That's how disciples of Jesus think. It's not just I go to church on Sunday and I'm in my small group and I had my quiet time. It's, mm-mm. Like, you know the need out there. The need is a mother load right now. People are hungry. They're needy. And it's time, like, like, how do you impact regions and towns and nations? Have you ever just done the math? If you lead more people to Jesus and disciple them in his ways to walk in his kingdom, it all looks different. It looks different. And Jesus here knew that they were going to need time alone to get united of a heart and to be able to have a heart for the kingdom. That they can look at the kingdom through that lens day in and day out. Is that a part of your life? If not, it's okay. Just today, Jesus, please forgive me. I haven't even thought that way. It's all about you blessing what I need. Forgive me for that. He wants to bless you for what you need too, right? It's not an either or, it's a both and. But it's aligning your heart to say, Jesus, today I'm on mission. There's a kingdom mission that you are on in your job. You're there to represent Jesus. So when someone's in tears, what would Jesus do? You might pull them aside private and say, you okay? It's not like, I don't need more drama. Do you listen to the Spirit of God in that moment of how he would have you interact with that situation? So here, he's aligning their hearts. So he's growing their dependence. He's aligning their hearts to to the Father, to each other, and to the kingdom. What might be God doing in that area of your life in these days? Let me give you the third one. He built trust in his timing. He built trust in his timing. There's times in our life where we might want it sooner than God wants to present it. And this is, this is where it's like, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. And there are difficult things that we've all walked through in life. And sometimes in my own, if you were in my quiet time with me, you would hear me say things like when something was really just felt unjust, not right, that I will just, I will express that. Lord, I just, this is how, and then, but I will work myself to a place in my own heart where it might come out this way. But I trust you because that's the only way I can get it out. One of the things that's really important, and I've shared this with you before, is we are living in a culture these days, even in the church, where oftentimes what happens is, is we do this. We view God, his character, and what he's like through our circumstances. We view God through the challenges that other people are living in right now. Well, how could God, why would he, would, does that really, is that really true? And we make judgments on God. Can I just tell you as a follower of Jesus, you never do that. It's the reverse. You might not understand the situation, but you always come back to what the Bible tells us about what God is like. Can I also tell you, if you don't do that, you get driven nuts. Because there's things I don't understand. It's like, God, why did you just not take that person out? Because none of this would have happened. Why did you? And you look around in society, and you're going, oh my gosh, if that person wasn't in... And we have to be able to start with saying, okay, God, I don't understand, but you're still good. You have died for me. My sin is gone because of you. You've cleansed me. I have a whole eternity with you. I've been born and I'm carrying the breath of life in me, as Jonathan led us in that song. The breath of life is in me. 
And you want to pour your spirit through me to impact where I still am. But if you don't start with, okay, here's God's character. He's just. Psalms 145 says he is just and kind in all his ways and doings. That covers it all. So I have to stand sometimes with a mother who's lost their son in an accident, and inside I have to say, you're just and kind in all your ways and doings, because I don't understand this, but my circumstances, her circumstances, doesn't change who God is. Pea brain here might not be able to compute it, but it doesn't change who God is. Are you tracking with me? It's huge. Like on a 1 to 10 scale, this is a 12. It's huge. It's okay to say, I don't understand. And you you search your Bible and you go, yeah, I don't know what to do. That's fair. But we have to trust God in his timing and what he's doing. I don't understand why a 15-year-old gets taken early. I don't get it. I don't get it. One of the acquaintances I had in my life, I don't know if you ever run into his songs, but it was one of those moments for me at 28 years of age. I, I remember where I was. Or excuse me, 23 years of age. I remember where I was. And Cheryl and I were engaged and... A couple years earlier, there was a guy by the name of Keith Green that came. If you don't know Keith, I'd encourage you to go, you know, on iTunes and check out his stuff. His songs are very relevant for the day today. And he was coming to the Youth of the Mission base, and someone came to me and said, hey, have you heard of Keith? I said, yeah. I said, I actually just got his second little cassette. And uh, they said, he's coming to the base. Would you host him? And so for that week, I hosted him. And I'll never forget, he got to the base, you know, he was about 25 at the time, and um, a couple years older than I was, and, and at the YWAM base, the way as that missionary base would work, you'd sit down at your table for dinner, they'd pray, and then you have these little kind of containers, three of them, and you'd go up a table at a time up to the kitchen, they'd load them up, and you'd bring it back down, and so you'd have like the eight to ten of you, would, that's how you'd eat, so you know, just had this rotation going on, and so Keith comes, he's at my table, we finish, he's obviously still hungry, and he goes over, like, he just got there. But he gets up and goes over this table, and there's more, he said, are you guys going to eat this? And I'm just thinking, holy moly, is he bold, right? And, um, and some of you, you know, are aware of his story. He, he, I had the privilege of introducing him to YWAM's founder. They, they ended up, when he, he passed away in an a airplane crash. It was on his property in Texas, and he was taking two of his kids and a friend, and there are three kids, four kids, and the pilot, and they went up, and they only made it about 100 yards, and it crashed, and they were all killed, 28 years old. And I remember where I was in Kona when someone said to me, called me and said, hey, Dave, did you hear about Keith? And I, and I still go like, Lord, I just imagine what Keith would be like today. But God used him as a ramrod then for the purposes at that time. And that's where I have to go, God, I don't understand, but you're still good. You're still good. Our circumstances do not change his character. That's really important for us to stand on. All right? So here we are. They're waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Well, there was an Old Testament holiday that was called Pentecost. And it was celebrated, Pentecost was celebrating, sometimes they call it the Feast of Weeks. It was the early weeks of the harvest, which was usually in May and June. They had another one in the fall, but this was May and June. 
And so it was like a, it was like a big party time. And, and you had people from around the globe at the time that came into the city. And if you were to read Acts chapter 2, um, Luke lists for you about 14 or 15 different places from whence they came. Well, it was on this particular day, while the disciples are still in the upper room and they're still making things right and having worship and praying and listening and waiting, about 10 days have gone by and all of a sudden the Bible tells us there's the sound of a mighty rushing wind that enters the room. And they're empowered with the Holy Spirit. They go out of there and somehow, someway in that moment, they are supernaturally able to speak the languages of all the people that are there. And the, and the people are going, like, are these dudes drunk? Like, what's going on? Imagine a hundred, the 120 quickly mobilized out into this holiday where, where there were like food booths and food trucks and all kinds of stuff, right? That, that's what was there. And people from all over the world. And Peter, the one who just recently turned away, denied, he stands up now filled with the Spirit of God and declares the gospel. And, and look what happens. Check this out. <coughs> Excuse me. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They had just received it, and they said, Now it's going to be yours. For the promise is for you and for your children. And look at this. For all who are far off, that's you and me. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness. Isn't that interesting? With many other words, he got on a good preaching roll. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. So it went from a church of 120 to 3,120 like this. And here in God's timing not only did he come and empower them, but in God's timing, he waited for what was going to be happening on that day to show up. It's always bigger than you. It's always bigger than you. And if we wait for his timing, not only do you encounter what he wants, but all of a sudden, the nations, boom! Remember, Jesus told them, go make disciples of all the nations. And Jesus brings the nations to their doorstep when this empowerment happens and they're realizing, oh, oh, we can trust him for his timing because there's always a bigger picture in mind. It's not always about you and me and it's always bigger than you and me and God invites us to get on his page. Let me just close with this story. So, this was a very practical story for Cheryl and me uh, to apply these things. So about 2014, so we, we were living in a home, um, actually in the same subdivision as Jonathan. And um, about 2014, I said to Cheryl, our kids are now 38 and 36. Ryan will be 39 here Memorial Day. And um, we just, I said, hun, we didn't have a big home, maybe 2,300 square feet, something like that. But there were rooms not being used. I said, is I just feel like kind of it might be time for us to start looking at just getting something a little bit smaller that we could maybe be in, like we were 57 or 55 at the time, we could be in for the next 25 years. And she looked at me, and Cheryl's very discerning, and, but she looked at me and she said, I'm not there yet. 
And I've learned in my marriage that usually I tend to be the one that has the next step first. God always uses Cheryl as the governor of time. So it wasn't an appropriate time, nor is it ever, and men, you know this, to say, woman, jump on back with me. Let's ride now. It just didn't. So I just said, okay. That was 2014. 2016 rolls around. We're preparing for a prayer, one of our prayer retreats that we do, which is usually a couple days away, just to ask the Lord kind of big questions in our life. And we just wait on him and ask a question and wait on him and we're going to go to Annapolis, Maryland. I was speaking at a church in D.C., and someone had said, hey, would you like to use our place for a couple days for your prayer retreat in Annapolis? I said, that would be the will of God. Yes, please. And so, so Cheryl and I are there, and we're enjoying Annapolis. And, and Cheryl said to me, I think it's time that we pray about what you shared with me two years ago. And I looked at her. I said, really? She said, yeah, there's something in me about timing on this. So I said, do you want to add that to our list of things we're praying about? She said, yes. Yeah. So, so we get to one afternoon after we'd had lunch, and I said, are you ready to do this? She said, I am. So we just said, Lord, we lay aside our own thoughts and imaginations. We resist the enemy in Jesus' name. This was after checking to make sure our hearts were good here and with each other. Lord, is there anything you want to say? Anything you want to say to us about our living situation? We're quiet, two, three minutes. We can tell we're done because we're looking at each other. Cheryl, her, when she's in that prayer, she's like this. So I can tell because her hands are moving. She's looking at me. And so we always tease with, hey, what'd you get? No, what'd you get? Oh, what'd you, you know? And, and so I said, hon, what did you get? And she said, I got that we were supposed to, so this was um, summer of 16. She said, I got that we should sell our home next spring. She said, what'd you get? I said, I got that we need to be ready to move in the summer. So we wrote it down. And we just said, thank you, Lord, for that. We're just going to now take that as a step of obedience and start moving in that direction. So, why don't you put this up here, this picture. Can you put the next one up? So, here's what happens. Cheryl in the fall says, well, in September, don't you think we should probably start looking for our next step? Because we know we're going to put the house up for sale in six, nine months. Yep, probably. So, so we start driving around the area. And we're looking at this and looking. And nothing's just right. Nothing just fits right. We're just trying to get a little smaller. And then all of a sudden on Carruthers, there's these little cottages. And where you see Cheryl and I standing on this one, this was like the back property back there. That's what that looked like. That's what that lot, there was nothing there. But we went into the model. And when I go into, when we're doing this, I'm more the get the overview first. Oh, this is the master. Oh, nice. And then I go into the kitchen. And I, you know, I just keep going. Well, Cheryl's more detailed. And she's in the linen closet in the bathroom in the master. And this is what I hear in the kitchen. This is it. <laughs> and I said, what? She said, this is it. You know? And so I go in. I said, like, the linen closet's really special? She said, no. This is it. This is what we've been looking for. And she said, look at the storage and look at the space and look at... And, and it's this two-bedroom cottage that has three bathrooms and there's an upstairs 500 foot loft that you know is like oh so we go to the guy chad was his name and said hey chad like what's the process of putting money down on something like this and and shell and i were just praying kind of the process through but said let's take a step he said you're number 58 i said what does that mean he said you're number 58 on the list there's 57 people ahead of you (laughs) And I said, does that mean you can't put money? No, you can't put money down until you're number one. Can we put our name on? Yes, what's your name? And so he took our names. 
And about every six weeks, I'd call and say, hey, Chad, hey, Dave. I said, what number? You're number 34, you know? And he told me, he said, remember, some people put their names here, and then they're finding other houses, so that it'll drop. Well, I checked, I think, one other time. We were, like, number 17 or 18, and then it's Christmas, or excuse me, New Year's Eve day, where my mom and dad are in town, we're out for lunch, and he calls. He says, guess what? You're number one. Thank you for that affirmation, Chad. And he said, you're, you're number one. So he said, can you come tomorrow? Can you come tomorrow? So I said, absolutely. So Cheryl and I are delighted. We go down. And he says, you know that little vacant lot there on that end? Because these cottages stopped just across the street this way. He said, that one's available. And Cheryl and I and another friend and I, we had stood on that property and just said, Jesus, this is where you want us to be. And he said, that can be yours. So you guys, we put the house up for sale, got it all cleaned up, fixed up. You know, we had some friends that say, yeah, you know, gold's not in anymore. You got to get everything silver. You know, so it, so it was everything. You know, changing everything. Getting a new piece of carpet for an area that had been worn by the dog, you know, and different things. So we got it ready, put it up for sale in about 10 days. It sold. And we had put money down on this already. And so we, we sold it May 10th in the spring. And on September 11th, the very last days, right of summer, we move in. Now, here's the thing. While I'm going through the dependence, my heart being aligned to his, keeping my eyes where they needed to be, and, and trusting him for his timing, this was not there in 2014 when I said, honey, I think we need to move. And when we were looking at this, I asked Cheryl, I said, honey, I don't have any word of the Lord here, so don't misread. But if I went to heaven early, could you live here? She said, yeah, I could. Because I, I, the upstairs could be whatever, and I could just live on the you know, 1,400 and some square feet downstairs. So you guys, the timing of the Lord. But that story took me through all three of those things. I had to be just dependent, because I, I, I think I had the right word. The timing wasn't right. I had to trust the Lord for the timing. What is in your hands today? So, so if you can flip to the next slide. So just on those three points, you know, where, where is he stretching you? Where is he growing you in these places in your life today? Ultimately, he's asking you to trust him. And as you trust him, he wants to prove himself to you. So it's not like, oh, yeah, man, the sun comes up every day. He's faithful. He wants to make that personal and show you his faithfulness. But you have to let go. All right? So, Jesus, we come before you today. And, Lord, you know where each one of us is in the, the realm of waiting. You know the challenges before us. You know how we're, we're really kind of dependent on other people coming through or we're waiting for that door to open or whatever the case may be. Can I just encourage you, if, if you want to respond to this, just kind of put your hands in front of you, like upward, like you're receiving a gift. Don't do it. If, it's not, if this doesn't resonate with you, please don't. But, but if it does, and there's something in your life that right now you say, God, I, I'm in the midst of waiting, then just put your palms up in that way. Lord, we just put in our hands right now the thing that we're waiting for. And as it's here, we don't want to grasp it. We're inviting you to take it 
as we put it on an altar, as we lay it before you, Lord. We're just putting it on the altar. And we remove our hands from it. And we say, God, in your way and in your time, Lord, grow my dependence on you. Lord, align my heart to your kingdom. Because at this, at this moment, I'm going to trust you for the timing. But it's not just about me and my world. There's something bigger at stake. So I want to trust you because I want to be a part of whatever that bigger at stake is. And just as a, as a body, I just kind of feel like to pray that over this too. You know, one day you guys will probably be out of this school and there's going to be a property or there'll be something, you know, that God will provide for you. And so, Jake, is it okay if I just go there? So, Lord, we, we just give you that too. We know that one day there, there may be, whether it's in homes or a building or whatever it is you want to do, but there's something you're up to. But Lord, I just would pray that as we give that to you, that it would be nothing that would ever drive this flock. So even as a whole flock, Lord, we just give that to you right now. Thank you that you are good. And Lord, we declare that today. And that in the midst of the waiting, you don't turn your back on us. You don't just want to see us suffer. You don't want to just try to see us endure. You're actually doing things in our lives. So, Lord, help us to know and understand that so we can better cooperate with you. So we just pray your blessing on that as we begin to walk that this day. In Jesus' name, amen.